Uh, everybody else, today we're going to be together starting a new uh, series of messages you see behind me. We're calling the next section of John Ending and Beginning. This will cover John chapters 11 and 12. In this section of John, we reach the dramatic conclusion of Jesus' public ministry. So this next couple of chapters cover the final portion of his time in doing ministry in Israel before the last week of his life. So in that sense, it's an ending because his public ministry is drawing to a close. But as we will start what's called the Passion Narratives or the week of his suffering, it's a beginning. It's going to be a, a lot of fun. I'm excited that you're here. We'll be going through these chapters together, section by section. Of all the things that you can do in 2018 to grow spiritually, as Todd was praying, the most important thing you'll do is open your Bible, because it's in the Bible that God speaks in an authoritative way. So I encourage you, if you're not in the habit regularly of reading the Scriptures, that you'd start doing so, and uh, use the book of John. It'd be a great place to read and to get together with another person, to read together ahead of time what we'll be covering and uh, then to come every Sunday prepared in that way. The story we come to together this morning is probably the most famous miracle in all of the book of John. It's the uh, incredible story of a man named Lazarus and his uh, rescuing out of death back into life. Like all the other miracles in the book of John, this one is designed for us to look at the miracle, but to think even more about what the miracle represents. And so we'll be working at that together this morning. Stephen and uh, Chelsea are going to come read for us, so we'll be in John 11. If you have the Bible, please turn with me there. If not, there should be a copy underneath the steps, I mean the seat underneath you. I was watching them walk up the steps, and so I said, step. Would you read for us John 11, the whole chapter? Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews who were, ju who were just now seeking to stone you and you're going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they had thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, 
so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to, to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you will always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not the whole nation should perish. 
He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad, so that from that day on they made plans to put him to death. Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. When they were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Thank you, Sheltons. Should you give them a hand for reading that many verses? <clears throat> Thank you. Over the course of human history, it's estimated that this has happened to around 100 billion people. Today, this will happen to about 150,000. Eventually, this will happen to you. Do you know what it is? It's death. Death is one of a very few remaining taboo topics in American society today. It's almost as though we think if we don't talk about it, then maybe it won't happen. But make no mistake, death is everywhere. And death is many places in John chapter 11. The chapter, verse 1, starts with a cold, hard fact. Lazarus, who is from the town of Bethany, was ill. We don't know what kind of illness, but it was apparently serious. Serious enough that the two sisters sent a messenger ahead to where Jesus was staying about two days away to tell him, Lazarus, your friend, the one you love, is dying. You should come. Lord, he whom you love is ill, verse 3 says. Many of us, perhaps statistically speaking, all of us, will have some kind of illness in the coming year. And probably someone listening to the sermon right now will die. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? It's a sobering thought. It is a huge mistake to live as though you will always have your health and to live as though you will always live. When reality itself shows us repeatedly that that is not so. John chapter 11 contains the truth that you most need to know in order to be prepared for your own passing and to help those you love to be prepared. So while this is not a a fun, light, easy topic, it is certainly one that we need to hear this morning. Lazarus' illness worsened, and by verse 14, he's dead. Again, this passage puts it very plainly. Look at verse 14. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus had died. Many, particularly in American society today, think of death as the end. But that is not 
the truth of what happens when someone dies, nor is it what the word actually means. Death in the Bible always refers to separation. Let me see if I can explain that. When someone dies physically, then what the word death means is that the immaterial part of the person and the material part of the person are now separate. So the physical part of the person, their heart has beat its last, their brain is no longer functioning, and they are dead. But the immaterial part of them, the spiritual part, the soul, continues to live. But there's a separation between the two. The Bible also talks about spiritual death, meaning that it's possible to be alive physically but dead spiritually. And that death is the separation of the soul from God. People were created to be in intimate, perfect fellowship, harmony, union, connection with God the Father. And yet we're born physically alive but spiritually dead. And so someone can be physically alive but spiritually dead. They can be physically dead but spiritually alive. Or they can be physically dead and spiritually dead. Right? Anybody confused yet? This passage is one of those that seems rather simple at the beginning, but as you look at it more, it becomes quite complex. Jesus refers to being spiritually alive earlier in John, and uh, we quoted from 1 John today, but let me read from John 6, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven not like the bread the fathers ate and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. In this one passage, we see physical death being referred to and we see spiritual life being referred to. The most important truth we will ever study together, we will look at today, and that is how to be alive, how your soul can be right with God. When Jesus said that Lazarus died. What he meant is he physically passed away and his soul was now disconnected from his body. Friends, physical death is inescapable. It does not matter how much money you have, what kind of family you're from, what your educational background is, who you know that you can call upon to help you, how attractive or unattractive you are. When your time has come, your time has come. There is nothing anyone can do about that. This is a most serious topic. But the end is not the end. Being put in the grave doesn't mean you cease to exist. You as a human being will exist forever. The question is where? After death, will you exist forever with God in heaven or will you exist forever without God in hell? These are the great truths, John chapter 11, point two. Death is a most tragic event, is it not? 
Are you glad you came today? (laughs) Friends, some of us just came off the holidays having experienced a very difficult few weeks. In the last 12 months, you had a friend or family member pass away. And those holidays that in the past were fun occasions are now just a reminder that the person is no longer there. That's tough. Grief is unlike anything else we experience. The emotion that we have then is extreme sadness. And that emotion is here in the passage itself. Look at verse 33. Then Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see, see how much he loved him? It's one of those passages where the truth that Jesus is God and man, perfect in both, yet united in one, is put so well on display. Jesus in his humanity is is grieved, saddened, and yet in his deity will bring Lazarus back. Incredible how these two things work together. When your English Bible says that Jesus was deeply troubled, what it actually means is that he was extremely agitated. Jesus, as he saw the grief of one he loved, became both saddened and angry. You may have experienced that when a loved one passes. We are not wired to have to go through death. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. Death is a consequence of sin. It's not how God designed it. Jesus sees the grief and he recoils inside. That's a totally appropriate reaction for anyone to have. By the time Jesus had gone from where he was to the town of Bethany, four days had passed. Look at verse 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. We've got to have a little fun this morning. So let me tell you some other translations, the way they render that. Uh, The New Living says, the smell will be terrible. King James says, Lord, by this time, he stinketh. But my favorite is the uh, pigeon translation. This is the Hawaiian Bible. It says, Albas, he make four days already going to get bad smell. Now, all joking aside, what what is this that she was referring to? It's the fact that her brother, the one she grew up playing with, sat at the dinner table with, laughed with, has now been laying in a cave long enough that his flesh is decaying. Bacteria is growing and beginning to feast on itself. He's rotting. 
saying, Lord, why in the world would you go in there and smell that? It's a horrific image. Incredibly sad. What a sad, sad, tragic thing death is. And very often, a death is accompanied by incredibly deep disappointment with God. Did you hear it in Mary and Martha's words? Independent of each other, they both come into contact with Jesus and the first thing out of their mouths, why weren't you here? If only you'd come sooner, he wouldn't have died. Friends, we ought to show the most compassion, sympathy, love, care towards one another when there's a death. There's nothing like grieving the death of a spouse or a friend or a child. It's just awful. And the experience of grief comes in waves and many times will hit you when you think it's already resolved. And this will go on for not days or weeks or months, but years. Not the way it's supposed to be. But there's more to this story. Jesus' plan all along was to use the death of Lazarus to bring into center focus a spiritual claim. We'll look at it in a moment. But before we get there, I would be remiss not to draw your attention to verse 15, where Jesus says that he was glad that he didn't go. If that's not troubling, then you're, you're not thinking through it very closely. Because here Jesus got word, your, your friend, Lazarus, is dying. And Jesus has the power to simply say words and he would be healed. And yet Jesus looked at his disciples and said, I'm glad that I'm not there. rather shocking claim. He's not glad because those he loved would go through sorrow and pain, but he is glad because he would use the occasion of grief to strengthen belief. Now, look at verse 5 with me, if you would. He, he says, now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. This is inexplicably obvious. Jesus is saying, because I love you, I will delay coming. Not in spite of, not ignore this, put this behind, don't ever think about it, but because I love you. I will delay coming. Jesus intentionally delayed going to Bethlehem. And this was the delay of love. Brothers and sisters, there will be times this year when you will call on God for help and God will delay His aid. God does this often. We come to Him in prayer asking Him to do something. And he chooses to delay a resolution 
to that pain. Friends, that delay is always a delay of love. Always. Relief from suffering is far less important to God than the strengthening of your belief and the revelation of His glory. God, more than anything else, Christian, wants you to adore Him supremely, wants you to let go of things that would harm you and to cling tightly to Him. And so He will delay the resolution of some sufferings in order that your belief would be strengthened. Most of the spiritual progress you will make in life will be made not when things are easy, but when there is delay and your muscles of your faith are stretched, that growth will occur. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. What does that mean? This is simply orthodox belief. This is what the people of God have always believed. That a physical death isn't the end. So she's saying, the sister's saying, my, my brother, yes, he's died, but that isn't the end. His soul is now with God, but one day God will return for his people. His body will be resurrected. His soul and body will rejoin, and he'll spend forever with God. That's what she's claiming. Friends, everyone who ever dies isn't gone forever. They will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. Bodies will meet again with souls. Jesus will judge every individual. Every individual will spend either forever with God in a perfect place or forever without God in a horrible place. And so she's referencing that, that resurrection on the last day. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now think for a minute just about what Jesus has just said. First, he pronounces to the sister of a dead person that he's going to come back alive. That is a crazy thing to say to somebody. Can you imagine telling somebody who's in grief, they're going to come back? That's insane. But even more than that, he has the audacity to take her grieving moment to talk about himself. You know anybody like that? Jesus takes this dear friend in brokenness and says, I am the resurrection and the life. Friend, Jesus is not the way he's commonly represented today. Jesus is not just a good example. He is that. Jesus is not just a great moral teacher. Great moral teachers don't make crazy claims about bringing somebody back from the dead. And they don't seemingly arrogantly talk about themselves. But Jesus, without sin, does both. It's incredible. 
Jesus was claiming that he has power over life and death because he is the source and the substance of life itself. Verse 25 and 26 are among the most memorable words Jesus ever spoke. I am the resurrection. I am the life. You've probably heard that before. And yet, have you ever slowed down long enough to look at those two verses? They're pretty confusing. Let me see if I can explain. Jesus says in both of these verses, there's a physical death and a physical life. And there's a spiritual death and a spiritual life. And it's not easy to figure out which is which. He says, I am the resurrection. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. He's saying, if you've placed your faith and trust and confidence in Christ, then even if you die physically, you will come to life again. That's what he's saying in the first clause. The second one, I am the life. That's connected with everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus, which one is it? Either we won't die or we will die. Or we are alive and we won't die. It's both. Because in this clause, Jesus is saying, if you trust Jesus spiritually, you will never die again. So brother or sister, if you are a follower of Christ, you already have the life of God. You already have eternal life. Though you will die physically, you will never die spiritually. You will always be with God. What a marvelous thought. A famous Puritan wrote a book called The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. That's the way they talked. Let's make things as complicated as we can. But isn't that beautiful? The death of death and the death of Christ. Death lost its power when Christ died because it means no one else will ever die spiritually again if they have the life of Christ. It's amazing. All of this is bound up in the goodness and the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. I am the resurrection. I am the life. The power of life itself physical and eternal, resides in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I recognize in the year 2018 that this can seem rather fanciful. First of all, to believe that there is life after death, the majority of Americans no longer believe that in an orthodox sense. But even more so, perhaps, to believe that the power of life, it, life itself, eternal and physical, resides in a person, in Jesus Christ. And he carries the destiny of all in his hands. That might seem to you hard to believe. And yet, there is no reason to believe that it was any easier for the people in the first century to believe. They, simply because they're older, in an earlier period of time, that does not mean they were dumber or more gullible or more likely to believe the supernatural. It doesn't mean that at all. 
And so Jesus, because he wanted them to be sure of who he is, of the spiritual truth residing in him, of his power, did something physical and then made sure that it was recorded so us all these years later, so we could hear it, so we could believe. In other words, the, the spiritual claim that there's life in Jesus Christ, that if you trust in Him, you have been breathed by God to life spiritually, is not something you can see with your eyes. You can't observe when that has happened to somebody. It's a spiritual truth. It's a spiritual claim. And so Jesus, knowing that, did something physical. He brought Lazarus back from the dead to show it. Now, if you think through that closely, it's, it's even more confusing because it's not a direct correlation. There's not a one-to-one parallel. You see, when Jesus rose from the dead spiritually, he didn't simply come back in the same body, in the same form he had before. He came back with a resurrected body. That means he came back with a body that was different. He looked like himself, but he was made of different stuff. That's the technical word. Theologians call it stuff. He, he had a body that will never get sick again, will never die again. That was perfect. That was whole. And so there's all these crazy little things, if you read them closely in the Gospels, where Jesus... All the disciples are locked in a room praying because they're afraid. And what does Jesus do? Anybody know the story? He shows up. He, he passes through the door. Or even more directly to our story today, when they looked into the tomb to see where Jesus had been laid, what did they see? You know you're going to have to use your brain today, huh? They, they saw the grave clothes laying there. Now, why is that an important detail? Well, Lazarus didn't have the same kind of resurrected body. How do we know that? Well, he comes out like this. Why? Well, he still had a, a mortal body. So he didn't pass through those clothes. He just was physically resurrected, physically brought back to life. But Lazarus died again. Kind of got a bum deal there, didn't he? (laughs) Lazarus came back to life physically so that you today would hear that God can make you alive spiritually. The, The lesser miracle was the return of physical life in order to show you today that there's a greater miracle. That miracle is eternal life in Jesus Christ. I am the resurrection and the life. This story is meant then to serve as kind of a living parable, a paradigm, a demonstration of the power of Jesus to give life to whomever He wants. Friend, if you've 
never turned from sin and trusted in Jesus Christ as your substitute, then though you are, spir- you are physically alive right now, you are spiritually dead. You may not feel that. You may not recognize it. You may have never thought about that before. But the truth is, your soul is disconnected from God. It's separated from Him. That's what death is. And this great story, this real historical event that happened so long ago has been recorded that you might know. Today, if you'll come to Christ, turn from a life without Him, confess sin, place trust and belief in Him, then God will give you the very life of God. You will then be alive physically and alive spiritually. And though you will physically die in the future, you will never again die spiritually. You will always and forever be an adopted son or daughter of God. And friend, if you've already made that decision, then brother or sister, are you appreciating rightly the life that you have? And are you sharing that life with others? Lazarus living again brought several responses, just like the message today brings. Verse 45 says that many believed. Many saw the miracle and believed the words that Jesus spoke, just like the majority of us in the room today have. Verse 46 says that some went to the Pharisees and told on Jesus, This is like the second grader who sees something they don't like and runs and tells the teacher. Not because they have good motive, but they want to be thought of as being particularly good. That's what the Pharisees did. But the narrative presses us down to verse 53, where the Pharisees made their first formal decision to have Jesus killed. There's been times earlier in John where there was sort of this collective corporate crowd, mob sense of violence. But this is actually a a judicial process resulting in a decision to bring about the death of Jesus. And so from this moment on, everything's different. There's a, a hard pressing in of seeking to have Jesus killed. The power of life and death belong to God and God alone. And yet Jesus claimed to have the power of life and death. They didn't like that. They didn't like his claim to be God. And so to keep their own position, to keep their own country, they chose to make the decision to put him to death. Friends, what is your response to this story? Will you believe? doesn't mean every question you ever have spiritually is now answered. It doesn't mean your life is exactly the way you would have written it to be. It doesn't mean you'll have an absence of trial and hardship in the future. But you believe that when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and I am the life, that he's telling the truth. If so, then the only appropriate response is to Climb down off the little throne of your own little kingdom and choose instead to follow the king, 
the one with power over life and death? Or would you be like the Pharisees? Will you leave Church on Mill today and go say to somebody else, you'll never believe what those idiots think? Or will you be a Pharisee? Will there be an outright rejection, even a hostility toward God? For in life and death are all bound up in what you do with Jesus' claim, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Let's pray. Before I voice a prayer for all of us, why don't you take a moment and quietly reflect